nothing away to start over. So he wipes out the whole face of the planet with a flood. But notice he didn't yank everybody back to heaven. Notice that he didn't say, let me just get rid of everything and start over. He left some righteous people, one family, by one man named Noah to start the whole thing over again. Then when that didn't work, then he got, he got with Moses and led his people out of Israel. And then they kept grumbling and complaining. What did he keep telling to, telling to Moses? Get out of the way. Let me blow them all up. I'll just get rid of them all. And I'll start over with you. His intention was always to get his will done in the earth. Then Jesus shows up. God realizes the only way I'm going to be able to clean all this up is by sending myself to the earth to redeem man. But here's what we think. We think Jesus came and died on the cross so we can go to heaven. I mean, if you ask any any Christian, any believer, why did Jesus come and die on the cross? What was his purpose? To save man from hell so he could go to heaven. And that wasn't the purpose. Heaven is a byproduct of that. Yes, we will go to heaven. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to get sin out of man so man could then rule and reign on the earth like Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and then in Genesis chapter 3 before man sinned. What was the goal? Always to get it back. Always to, I don't want to get rid of the system. I don't want to forget the whole thing and let's just eradicate it and start over. I want to fix the system. Let's correct it. If man is in a position where they can't operate in the system like they're supposed to, then let's get them in the position. But since we process things with if it, if it, if it breaks, forget it. Don't worry about it. Let's start over. Then we think God does the same thing, and that's not a true statement. God was always trying to correct what man broke in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were not wandering around the garden wondering when God was going to come back and take them to heaven. You won't find it anywhere. You won't find it. So why all of a sudden do we think that man's goal and purpose now is to get saved and get redeemed so we can strive to get to heaven? And while we're here on earth, we have no purpose. We can't do anything. So the first thing we have to understand is that the purpose of something allows you to use it properly. Well, we don't even know why we pray. Remember, we've made statements like, uh, you know, Christians aren't the only ones that pray. In fact, every religion has this one thing in common, they pray. There are other religions that pray more, more religiously, more ritualistically, and some of them even pray more confidently than Christians. There are other religions, they have a set time that they pray, they have a set prayer they pray every every time. They know who they're praying to. They know what they can pray for. They know what they can't pray for. They know how long to pray, what time of day to pray, which way to face, what direction to face when they pray, what place to go to when they pray. That doesn't mean their prayers are being answered. But what I'm saying is, is that prayer is the most common thing, yet we do not give it the the 
the attribution and, and the power that it is due. If we really believe that our prayers were as powerful as we think they are, I mean, if you ask any Christian, is prayer powerful? Oh, yeah. Prayer is how you got into the thing. You, you, be, you were born into the kingdom. You became uh, saved by what? Saying a prayer. I got a question for you. If prayer is so powerful that it can alter your spiritual destination, then why aren't we, why isn't this something we continue to do? You know, you heard me make a statement that uh, for most believers, and I'm included in this, the number one area we struggle the most in our spiritual walk is prayer. We're pretty good at going to church. We're pretty good at, at reading our Bible and, and be, you know, being in the Word. But when it comes to prayer, that's the one where we really struggle to make time to pray. That's the one where we, that's the one issue we really have mostly as Christians that we falter in and that we could do better in. I mean, if I ask, I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand, but if I ask the question, could we all do better in our prayer life, I, I believe every single hand would go up, including mine. And when I began studying this out, I began seeing that I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't doing what I needed to do. And I had to step it up. I remember, you know, I've told many of you before that when I first moved to Florida, you know, I'd just gotten out of college, and, um, you know, eight months later, I'm moving to Florida, and uh, Pastor Earl, when I got hooked up with him, the first thing we were doing, we were uh, ministering in a middle school. That's where we were having church, Sundays and Wednesdays. We didn't have our own building. We couldn't just go and have a prayer meeting whenever we wanted to. So he's waking me up at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning to go walk on the beach and pray. And I'm thinking, you know, college student just got out of, you know, I'm sleeping until 11 or 12 every day. Man, and here I am, you know, thinking I'm going here to help a ministry to, to learn how it is to do church. To see this thing go from the ground up. When I got there, there was 17 people at the church. That's more than what we have in this church. Or that, that's, that's less than what we have in this church. We've got more here than what we started with down there. Seventeen people getting together, having service. And I'm thinking learning church is going to be, you know, learning how to preach, learning how to put together sermons, learning how to do a service. And the area that he wants to teach me in is how to pray. And I remember he looked at me one time and he said, this right here, is the most important thing this church will ever do. Prayer. He said, this is more important than any ministry we do. This is more important than any event that we put on. This is more important than any sermon we preach. It's prayer. Because this is where we get God's guidance for what to do in the earth. And so we've got to learn the purpose of this thing. We've got to learn why we are praying. Why? Remember, we ask questions because, you know, we make statements a lot that, you know, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God has all the power. God is in control. Who's heard that one before? God is in control. We've heard that one. 
Well, then let me ask you a question. If God is sovereign, if God is in control, then why pray? If he's going to do whatever he wants to do anyways, if God is so much in control that I can do nothing to influence God, I can say nothing to influence God, then why should I even waste my time praying? Did people in the Bible pray? Yeah. Anyone that did anything powerful for God spent time in prayer. That's the one thing they all have in common. Abraham prayed. Moses prayed. David prayed. Jesus prayed. The disciples prayed. You you won't find one person in the Bible that did anything powerful for God that didn't have some type of prayer life. But why are they praying if God's going to do what... If this whole book was written and God decided... I'm going to do whatever I want. I just want to put man down here and, and show them that prayer is important. See, we have to identify these things because then we don't understand what we're doing in prayer. Then we end up just praying with the thought process of, well, God's going to take this sickness away when he wants to take it away. And, and God is going to let me get a job when, uh, when, when it's time for me to get a job. And, and God is going to... Uh, tell me when to move and, and what my purpose is in life whenever he feels like it. Then our prayer, we're not even going into it with any power, with any faith, and nothing's going to come out of it. The reason why people abandon prayer is the same reason why they abandon marriages. Is the same reason why they abandon parenthood. Is the same reason why they leave churches. Is the same reason why they leave a job. It doesn't break. Results. We quit something because it doesn't work when the whole time it hasn't been working because we've been we've been abusing the system. We quit marriages because it doesn't work anymore. The thing just didn't work. I don't know what happened. I don't know what went wrong. But apparently we just need to, we just need to split it up. I'm leaving this job. It, you know, it just doesn't work for me anymore. I, it's not working. They're not giving me what I want. Apparently, I'm not giving them what they want, so I quit. I'm not going to go to that church anymore. That church hurt me. That church talked about me. That church. And so we have reasons for quitting church. And, and, and a lot of people quit church altogether because it just didn't work. It's broken. And we do the same thing with prayer. We don't pray because we don't get results. The prayer meeting in every church in the United States of America is the smallest meeting of any church. I told you I heard one minister, and this changed my this changed everything for me as a pastor. He said, I judge the size of a church based upon their prayer meeting. The ones that are coming together and making effective prayer and, and bring in power to the church through corporate prayer, that's the church. I mean, you look in, in, in the book of Acts, how many times were they getting together in one accord? And the Holy Spirit came because they got together in one accord. In prayer, the church was all coming together under one roof, praying one thing in one mind, saying one thing in agreement. In churches today, we, we have so many different opinions and so many different, well, I like it this way. I like the music loud. You like the music soft. I, I like it, uh, you know, when the seats are like this, and I like it when the seats are like that. I like it when we have church at 11. I like it when we have church at 9. 
And we've come in with so many, uh, you know, as I like it, as I please type mentalities in church that we don't agree on anything anymore. Not even in church. And in, in the book of Acts, that's what drove the church was we all want the same thing. My passion is your passion. My value is my, your value. My priority is your priority. And so prayer has been uh, almost done away with for a lot of believers. It's not something that we, it's not a priority in our life. We don't place a lot of value in our time spent with God in prayer. Remember, I, I made this statement with uh, Jesus' disciples. The only thing they ever asked Jesus to teach them was to pray. It's the only time they ever asked. They didn't say, Jesus, teach me how to cast out a demon. Jesus, teach me how to heal a person. Jesus, teach me how to calm the storm. Jesus, teach me how to raise the dead. There's so many amazing things that Jesus did that I'm thinking, man, if I was around Jesus, I want him to teach me that. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because they realized something. See, Jesus was getting up early and praying. Jesus was spending all night praying. Jesus was making time and placed a priority on praying to his Father. Even Jesus, the Son of God. If we think anybody in the world doesn't have to pray, it would be Jesus. Yet he spent more time doing that than anything else. Jesus' priority was not ministering to people. That was not his first priority. His first priority was ministering to his Father in prayer. And that is what empowered him, gave him the ability to minister to people. His disciples realized something. He's spending all this time praying to God. He stayed up all night. He got up way before we did. And then when sick people came to him, demon-possessed people came to him, how much time did he spend with them? With one individual. Was he rebuking demons and casting them and praying over them and, and you know, really pressing? And, and three hours later, this person received their sight. Three hours later, this person's leprosy fell off. Five hours later, no. Split seconds, man. Miracles left and right. So his disciples realized something. Because he's spending so much time with his father in prayer, He's spending very little time with people in their problems. They put two and two together. They said, wait a minute. The reason why these things are happening in his life like this is because he's spending so much time over here. But you know what we do? We spend all day with our problems. And we spend very little time talking to God. We talk about our problems a lot but we don't talk to God about our problems a lot. So we've got to make a shift in thinking. We've got to make a shift in our prayer life. And I told you that through this series, if you don't come out on the other end of this thing realizing I need to take my prayer life to the next level, then I don't know what will do it because this has absolutely lit me up. It's, it's really just consumed my mind. I mean, I, I've been preaching, you know, we've been doing Kingdom Keys on, on Wednesday, and, you know, I'm in the Word studying other things out, but th this prayer thing, man, it, it's changed my lifestyle. It changed what time I wake up in the morning. It, it, it's, it's just been on my mind, this prayer thing. 
Now remember, I got to finish out the purpose real quick. Remember we said that in Genesis chapter 126, God created man in his image. He created everything on days one through five. Day six shows up and he creates man. He creates man in his image, in his likeness. And then he does one more thing. He says two words that change the course of history for all of mankind. He says, let them have dominion. Let them rule. Let them, that word dominion simply means control. Let them be in control of the earth. Now, here's what God did. We talk about God being sovereign and God, uh, uh, God, you know, is in control. He can do whatever he wants. But God can't do whatever he wants. He can only do according to what he says. So now God's got a dilemma. God just said, let them. See, he didn't say, let us have dominion. You rule with me. No, he said, you rule the earth. I'm a king, and I'm in heaven, in an invisible realm. Heaven you cannot see. You can't get on a plane and go there. You can't taxi there. You can't get on a boat. You can't even take a rocket ship and get there. It is invisible. God is a spirit, which means he is invisible. Nobody has seen God at any time. So now, God has just given all control over the earth realm to a certain specific being. That is a spirit being that has a flesh suit. A spirit that lives inside of flesh, which is you and I. Every single person on the face of the planet is a spirit. The person who I'm really talking to right now, I cannot see. The person who's really talking to you right now, you cannot see. These are things that kind of hard for us to grasp, but that is how God designed it. And he ordered the earth in this way, that the only beings, the only species, the only person that has the right to do anything in the earth is a spirit that is wrapped in flesh. How do I know this? Because if my flesh goes, my spirit ain't hanging out. My spirit can't separate from my flesh. My spirit can't go run on down to to Subway right now and get a sandwich and come on back and my flesh keep doing its thing here. If If my flesh quits living in the earth, my spirit goes of one of two places. Period. There's no spirit being that has any business in the earth. It can't happen. Well, guess what? God is a spirit. Now, this may be hard to to swallow, but God cannot do anything in the earth and will not do anything in the earth without using a spirit being wrapped in flesh, without using a man. I know we've said this for the past several weeks, but we just we got to lay this foundation. we got to keep it fresh. Paul said, I need to keep things in remembrance. Timothy said, I need to keep things in remembrance. Peter said, I need to keep things in remembrance. I'm keeping you in remembrance. The whole reason why we pray is because God can't do anything in the earth without using a man. He did not part the Red Sea without using a man. He did not take Goliath out of the picture without using a man. Now he's got a real big dilemma because man has sinned, man has fallen. 
the only one that can redeem mankind from their sin is a man. But man can't do it. I can't save you because I have sinned as well. We need a man that's never sinned before. We need a man that's completely pure, completely clean. How in the world are we going to do that? Because God has to go back. He's got to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and say, wait a minute. The only way I can save man is if I become flesh. So then we have John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. He was there in the beginning. He was there in the beginning in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John chapter 1. In the beginning... So Jesus was there all the way back then. Jesus didn't exist in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was always there. And then John chapter 1 verse 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What's that mean? That means that God himself, the only one who could redeem man, realized the only way I can do anything down there in the earth is if I become flesh. That is how powerful God's word is. Look, if God violates his word, then who in the world are we going to believe? He becomes like us. He becomes like man. Then we can't trust him. Then we can't know his true faithfulness. When he says, I promise, well, do you really promise? Because, you know, you said this one thing and you took that away. So God cannot violate his word. That's how powerful his word is. He's given man full authority and full dominion in the earth to do anything. So here's what prayer is. Ready? Prayer. The purpose of prayer is to allow God, to give God permission to intervene in the earth. You're telling me that I actually can give God permission God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty, all-powerful being, that I have to give him permission to do something? Absolutely. So that's what prayer is. And that is why we pray. Is because God is waiting for someone to ask. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, I, my father, he knows what you need even before you ask. But what is still necessary for him to meet the need? You have to ask. So I have sickness enter my body. God has already made something available to me to get rid of the sickness. His son died on a cross, took stripes on his back, was beaten till no one could even tell he was a man. He's already, made, he's already done everything he needs to do to make that available. But he can't give it to you unless you ask. James chapter 5 says, if, if you are sick, are there any sick among you? Bring them before the elders of the church that they may pray the prayer of faith. And he will be healed. Either God is lying, either the Bible is false, 
And if I can't believe one thing in here, then I can't believe any of it. Bottom line. So there's an asking that's involved for God to operate and do what he's supposed to do in the earth through man. And he will not do it. You didn't get saved because God picked you out and said, you're saved, you're saved, you're not saved. You got saved because you asked him to come into your heart. You asked him to take away your sin. We need to go through the Bible and look at how many times we're asked to ask. How many times God puts it on us to ask. Ask me. We need to look at that. Last week we talked about the relationship. We said that that it is impossible for you to show God's will, to show uh, uh, how God, uh, what his nature is like if you don't have a relationship with him. That's what we went last week. That prayer is also there for the purpose of establishing that relationship because you will not be able to show God's authority and power through your life if you don't have a relationship with him. Jesus was cultivating a relationship. He was talking with his father. He was communicating. If we ask most Christians, what is prayer? We say, we're talking to God, or we're communicating to God. And that's true. You are communicating. You're talking to Him. You have to establish that relationship. So this week, I want to get into the most powerful, the most important ingredient in faith, or uh, in prayer, and that is faith. This is the most powerful ingredient. And this is where most people miss it when we do pray. Those of us that do pray, uh, and, and if we're still not seeing results, this is usually where we're missing it. But I'm, I'm going to need to tie some things together. I'm going to need to connect some dots, so to speak. Uh, if you will, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. Holy Spirit, allow me to speak this with clarity and with boldness, with understanding in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Matthew 15, verse 3. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? I need to start here because this is where a lot of us get stopped. And, and I, I should have brought this out in the first, the first one, the first message. Because this is where a lot of us get hung up. Because over the past couple weeks, this morning, I'm making statements that, to be honest with you, will confront what you've already believed about this subject. That may even be contrary. When I say God is not in control, that may be contrary to what you already know and what you already believed about God. When I say that God can only be sovereign to his word and that he needs man to operate in the earth, that might be contrary to what a lot of people believe. A lot of us may have grown up, may have heard from our parents, may have heard from our grandparents, uh, may, may have heard from our previous pastor or from a pastor growing up that God doesn't need man. That God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to do. You may have heard that. And that would be a tradition. But today, I'm bringing the Word of God. I'm not bringing tradition. 
I'm not bringing what I've heard. I'm not just telling you what someone else has preached to me. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Bible. So anything I say, the only way you would be able to refute it or be able to tell me it's not true is by showing me otherwise in the Bible. Bottom line. So we got to be careful with this because there's a lot of times we come to church and we just come in wanting someone to agree with what we already believe. I've seen very many people leave the church because the pastor didn't preach what they had already heard. Every time we hear the word, it should do one of two things. Every time we hear the word, it should either form a new belief within us or strengthen a belief that was already there. It should either create a new belief. Wow, I never saw it that way. You're absolutely right, Pastor Mark. That is what the Bible says. I agree with that. Or it should strengthen what you already knew or what you have already heard. That's it. And the messages that we preach, I'm going to tell you, it's why we're in this town. Bottom line. It's why we're in Valdosta. I asked God that before I moved here. <laughs> I didn't just come up and say, you know what? Yeah, let's go to Valdosta and let's, let's complete a work there. Let's, let's get that church up and going. That's not what I said. I said, God, why do I need to go? Again, I want to know the purpose. I want to ask why. It's funny how as kids we grow up always asking why, and then we quit asking why. Kids always want to know. I just saw a commercial last night with his kids just always asking why, why, why. Why do you cut your grass? Why do you have that car? Why do you need a key? Why, 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 why? And then you answer their question and they follow it right back up with a why. But then we get older and we quit asking the question. I ask God, why? I say, God, there's a church on every corner in Valdosta. Why do I need to be there? There's even Word of Faith churches in Valdosta. There's churches all over this town. Why do we need to start another one? See, I don't want to just do something just because. I want to know why. And he told me one word. And in fact, the one word was the word. Word. The word. The word. There's churches all over this town, but are they preaching the word? Because, see, Jesus, or uh, uh, God, struck me, with, struck me with something a few uh, years ago, several years ago, that we've been spending a lot of time preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we haven't been preaching the gospel that Jesus preached. Every church is doing that. Every church is preaching the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel of Jesus? That he came, he died on the cross, rose again, took away my sins, that I don't have to go to hell and that I can one day go to heaven. We preach that nonstop. But that message, Jesus never preached that message. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He never preached, I'm coming to die for man's sins, 
so you don't have to go to hell, and so one day you can go to heaven. It's being born again. The gospel of Jesus, you need to be born again. It's the cross. Jesus never preached about being born again. Jesus never preached about the cross. Do you need to be born again? Absolutely. Was there a cross? Absolutely. And you know what? I can ask Christians about the cross, and and there's so many Christians, they can tell me what type of wood it was made out of. They can tell me how long the nails were. They can tell me all the suffering and all the beating he went through. They can tell me about the thorns, the, the crown of thorns. They can tell me how long he was on the cross. They can tell me, uh, you know, when he died, how he died. But then when I ask this question, tell me about the kingdom of God. Nobody can answer that question. Nobody can answer the question of the one thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else in his ministry. I dare you to go home in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and count the word kingdom, how many times you find it in there. It's in there over 150 times. And everywhere Jesus went, the, his first words, his first words, his first words were not, don't worry, one day I'm going to the cross and I'm going to save you from your sins and you, we can all go to heaven like you're wanting to. His first word was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First message, right out the gate. Matthew chapter 4. First word. He wasted no time. He got right to business. He said, I'm here to restore the kingdom that Adam and Eve lost, and I'm here to bring it back. I'm here to put man in the position they originally were. So that's why we're here. That's why the church is here. This church. I'm not pitting myself against other churches. There are other churches that are doing amazing, great jobs in this city. They're they're feeding the poor. They're they're doing great things. I know another church right now that a pastor I talked to, they get bread from this one, uh, I think it's the Atlanta Bread Company, on a certain night, and then they spend the next week giving it out. That's awesome stuff. That's what Jesus said to do. But the goal is we have to preach what Jesus preached. So, let's look at faith. we got to change our traditions, amen? Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start with verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Look at this in verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by what? The word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This right here, this may sound funny, but did you know that God actually had to have faith to create the world? That's what it says. By faith, we understand 
that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. God created the worlds. Go over to Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at this real quick. Genesis chapter 1. In fact, we're just going to flash the the verses on the screen. Uh, Verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let's go on down to verse 6. Verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And so the the firmament was there. Go down to verse 9. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And then it says, and it was so. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days. So he said, let there be light. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Go down to verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. Then we get to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion, so on. So every single thing that God created first was spoken by a word. This is the power of our words. God created the world not by forming it and 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 playing around with it, but by speaking it, and it showed up. That is the creative force of God's word. God spoke, and then it was so. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. Verse 26 says, "Let uh, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the way that God is, is the way you are. Image, likeness, nature, characteristics. You're telling me I'm like God? You're not like God in the sense that you can, you are in control of everything and the ruler over everything like he is. But we are in control of the earth and there are likenesses and parts of his nature that are our nature. And one of those, is the power of your words. I'll tell you right now, the spoken word is probably one of the most powerful things known to man, yet we abuse it all the time. We say things we shouldn't be saying. We say the opposite of what we want. You get a headache, and instead of saying, in Jesus' name, this headache is gone, you say, man, this headache is killing me. Man, this headache is terrible. I'm never going to get rid of this headache. We say these things and we don't even realize what we're saying. We are made in God's image. If God's word can change 
darkness to light can make dry land appear where there was no dry land, put a moon and stars in places, and, and create man, then what are we doing with our word? And prayer is communication. Prayer has to do with our words. Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Look at this. And upholding all things by the word of his power. So here we go. God created the world with words. Then he established that words are what would uphold the earth. The world would be created by words and the world would be sustained by words. Whose words? Your words. Our words. Our words. Now, here's what we need to understand about faith. Because words are necessary. Words are necessary to keep this thing going. And we've talked about faith many times, but I need to make a connection here. And I need you to follow me. I need you to to see where we're going with this. But here's what faith does. Here's the picture we think of faith. That if if I pray in faith, that money will show up and healing will show up and and things that we don't have will all of a sudden become ours. But here's what faith does. And you've heard me say this before, but, but stay with me. Faith does not create something. That's usually where we go. There's no healing and I need healing. There's there's no provision and I, I need money. I need finances. There's no joy. I, I need joy in my life. I'm depressed. I'm sad. And so we have this idea that, that faith just poof, creates things out of nothing. Faith does not create something. Faith moves something. Everything you need is already available somewhere else. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. It's already been created. Whether you see it or whether you don't see it, it's already been created. Whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Now watch this. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In who? In God. So here's what God did. God didn't just create the earth. God, when he spoke it, moved it from one realm, the invisible realm, to the visible realm. When he spoke and said, let there be light, he took light from in himself. That verse just says that in him all things consist. Light was in him. And so he said, let there be light. And he withdrew the light out from himself 
and light was appeared, light appeared in the visible realm. It was invisible, then it became visible. There is an invisible realm. You need to understand that. And everything you need is already created and already available in another realm. So we need to move it from the unseen realm into the seen realm. I don't have the finances right now to pay for this, so I need the finances to be moved from the unseen. I can't see it. I don't know where it's at to the seen realm. Here it is right here in manifestation. So faith is the vehicle that moves that. Faith is what makes that transfer. You've heard me preach this before, but we're we're going somewhere, okay? So even God, when he created the earth, used faith. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, he created and formed the earth. He spoke and withdrew from himself the power, everything that was created, even us. Even mankind, he spoke into existence by using faith to withdraw it out of himself. Let us make man in our image and then put it into existence. So that is what faith does. We have to change this picture because we go into prayer thinking that we're asking God to do something for us that we don't have to our availability, that we don't have access to. And we're trying to convince God to let us have access to it. God, you've got, uh, God, there's no healing here, so I need you to, to bring me some healing. God, there, there's, there's no provision here, so God, my, my marriage is a wreck, so I, I need you to, to, to bring me some love and, and bring me something to right this marriage. That's what we go into it. But we're not trying to create something. We're trying to move something. Do we understand that? Now, here's what we need to understand. Let's go a little bit further. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but just stay with me. I'm going to tie this together real quick right here. John chapter 10 and verse 10, a very popular verse. We know it. It says, The thief, Satan, does not come except to steal to kill and destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Here's what we say a lot as believers and as Christians. This is a term that we use a whole lot, and I'm about to, I'm about to shut it down right here. Here we go. Ready? Here's what we say a lot. The Satan, uh, Satan has placed sickness on me. Satan has put lack on me. He, He's just put this, this spirit of poverty on me. That verse right there doesn't tell me that Satan is putting anything anywhere. It says that Satan is taking something away. Now, here's why this is huge. If Satan puts sickness on my body, the question that rolls around in my mind is, what right do I have to heal it? I never had it before. Now sickness is put on my body. But let's switch that around, and according to this verse, it says that Satan takes something, steals something, kills something, destroys something. Satan took my healing that was already mine. 
the absence, sickness is the absence of health. Lack is the absence of provision. Poverty is the lack of prosperity. You see where we're going. Depression is the lack of joy. Hate and anger is the lack of love. It's the lack of. So now here's how we need to look at our lives. I am walking in healing right now. I'm not sick in my body. I, I, don't, I don't have a headache. I'm not sniffling. I don't have cancer in my body. I don't, nothing's broken. Right now I am whole. I am walking in healing. If Satan comes, it says that he comes to steal. But a lot of times we flip it over and it says, Satan put this sickness on my body. Satan put this cancer in my body. But instead we need to look at it as Satan took my healing. I'm going to show you why this is important. Satan took my provision and now I can't pay for that. Satan took my joy and now I'm depressed and sad. But we always jump to, well, Satan put depression on me. Satan put poverty on me. Here's why it's important to know that Satan stole something. When someone steals something from you, it denotes previous possession. If, if I go and, and I take Van's wallet, I stole it. You know what's not rolling around in his mind? Well, I, I wonder if I should get it back. You know why? Because it's his. It belongs to him. He previously owned it. This happened to me last year. You know, we were making these trips up every Sunday for service. And so we'd get back, you know, pretty late, uh, back to St. Augustine. and had to go back to work Monday morning. Pastor Earl didn't do us any favors. Back at work, 8 a.m., get there. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we'd go out to eat um, after we do service here. Uh, you know, usually we were pretty good about just going somewhere quick, Fazoli's, Wendy's, you know, those were popular places. But, you know, Joshua Clay, most of y'all know him, kid, he, he just loves to eat, man. He loves to eat, and he loves to eat at restaurants. So every now he would, every now and then he'd chime in, and we'd end up going to Cheddar's, or we'd end up going to some restaurant. So we're not even getting back till, I mean, it's a two-and-a-half-hour trip. We're not getting out of the restaurant until after 10. We're not getting back until close to 1 o'clock in the morning. This was one of those times we got back real early. And uh, I, we um, pull, pulled into the driveway, and I didn't even, at this time, we were living with uh, Pastors Marcus and Meredith. You remember them. And um, we were living with them at the time because we were getting ready to move here. We didn't want to be locked down to a house and rent and all that stuff. So we were uh, living with them for a few months. And pulled in the driveway, and I didn't lock my truck. I didn't even think about it. It's probably, it was after one. And uh, Pastor Marcus calls me on my cell phone. I'm uh, upstairs in a different room. And he calls me about, I don't know, it must have been between five and six in the morning. And uh, he calls me and says, hey, you need to come down here. The police are here. Something, someone went in your truck. And I'm like, great, man. So I go downstairs, and sure enough, they went through my truck, and I've got all kinds of stereo equipment. I've got uh, subwoofers and amps and radio and all this stuff. And it's kind of weird. I don't know what they were looking for, but there were these two kids going through the neighborhood and just going through open vehicles, just finding vehicles that were opened up. In fact, they stole a car. 
some guy had was getting ready to, getting ready for work, went down, started his car, went back in the house, came gone, came back out, and his car's gone. Stole a truck and just going through vehicles. They went through mine and they ripped out some random things, ripped out uh, an amp and ripped out some speakers and some other stuff. And so you know, and I've been through this before. Um, you know, back in Texas, I've been through that before and doing the whole police report and everything. And so it was probably about 6.30, closer to 7 now. And uh, they get a call, and they found the guys in the neighborhood. And they found the truck that they stole, and in the truck was everything that they had stolen from all the vehicles. So now they're telling me, hey, it looks like we have your stuff. Uh, we just need you to ID it and take it. Take it back. That's the first time that I've ever gotten anything back. Usually they don't, you don't get your stuff, man. You've gone to the pawn shop. They're out of state. Who knows what? So they stole my stuff. It belonged to me. There was no doubt in my mind that that was mine. And I, it wasn't, well, you know, should, should I take it? I mean, you know, they took it from me. No doubt in my mind. I previously owned it. I was getting back something that already belonged to me. And I don't think anybody in this room would have any problem taking back something that was stolen from you of high value that belonged to you. There wouldn't be any second guessing. There wouldn't be, oh, I don't know. You just keep it. And so this is what we do with the devil. This is what we do with Satan. We take we, we, his, his little slip swap. He takes our healing. He gives us cancer. And then we say, well, I just. And you don't even know that that was yours. And so we just think, well, he put this sickness on me. Now where am I going to get healing from? This is the biggest mistake we make as Christians in prayer. And, and, and when we start praying, this is where we struggle the most. Again, we're talking. We're not praying because we're not getting results. We're not doing this prayer thing that is so powerful and we all should be doing because we don't believe it works. And I'm telling you today that what we need to do to switch over and get it to work is get our faith lined up and understand what we're doing when we pray. We're not creating. We're not trying to create healing. We're not trying to convince God to give us something. That's what a lot of people do. If I just pray hard enough, if I pray long enough, if I say the right things, if I do it at the right time, then one day God will just give me what I'm asking for. I'll bug him enough that he'll finally say, all right, fine. I'll pay for that bill. I'll take away that sickness. Instead of God taking away sickness, we need to talk about him giving us healing. Now, first of all, we already know that you don't get it unless you ask for it. We've already covered that. So we've got that covered. I need to ask. But now we're messing up because we don't even know what we're asking for. And we don't even really know what we're doing in prayer. Where we mess up is we think we are asking God. We are convincing God to give us something that we don't already have access to. That's what we do. And that's why we don't have faith. I mean, even when we do pray, we don't pray with faith. Look at Mark chapter 11. If you're still wondering if God has faith, (laughs) 
Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Mark 11, 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Now, that is actually the wrong translation for that verse. People that translate the Bible, it gets, it gets mixed down. It's like, you know, if, if, it's like playing that game when you were a kid. When you say something in one person's ear and it gets down to the end of the line, it's completely different. That happens sometimes through translation. Even if I say something and I have someone say it in Spanish to some Spanish people, they may miss things here and there that I actually say. They might not put it in the right context, might not put the right emphasis. The actual translation of that verse is, have the faith of God. Jesus is actually saying, the faith that God has, you have. He's saying, have the God kind of faith. That is the actual translation in the Greek. Have the faith of God. So, does God have faith? Well, Jesus is telling his disciples to have the faith that God has. Now let's keep going. Verse 23. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now here's the key, verse 24. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. When are we supposed to believe? When it shows up? When we finally get it, when the healing's finally fully manifested, when we get the doctor's report that says no more cancer, when we have the money in our hand to pay the bill, when we have the joy of the Lord, it's not what this says. This says that when you ask or when you pray, believe that you receive. The prayer of faith. is asking God to give you access to what is already yours and then believing that he does it immediately. Most of us, when we pray, we look for the manifestation immediately. We look for, we look for it right then and there. And if it doesn't take place, then we immediately go over into doubt. Why do you think Jesus had to put in there and do not doubt in your heart? Because he knew that's the number one thing that's going to steal and rob what you're praying for. The second doubt comes in, the opposite of faith. Faith, by the way, means a firm persuasion. That's what faith is. Faith is a firm persuasion. Faith is your belief system. It is what you believe. It's that confident expectation. If, if I tell you I'm putting a check in the mail, how many of you are going to go home today and go look in the mail to see if it's there? No. But do you doubt that it's on the way? And that's what we do. If we don't see it immediately, well, you know, Pastor Mark, you must not have put the check in the mail. 
The mail hasn't even run yet. It's Sunday. Let's give it a couple days. But that's what we do to God. He says to believe that we receive it when we pray. Why? Because in the spirit realm, in the unseen realm, it already exists. Nothing that you need does not exist. Let me say it a different way. Everything you need already exists. You need healing, already available. You need provision, already there. You need joy, it's already yours. It's up to us to do the asking, because God isn't sending anything without us asking. And then it's up to us to remain in that position until we get it. We're the ones that short sight God. We're the ones that cut him short and say, well, I guess I didn't get it. And he's saying, no, it's already yours. It's yours when you ask for it. Something you've heard me say many times is that I only pray for things one time. After that, what do you tell somebody that does something for you? What two words do we use? Thank you. If I give you something that you've been asking for, don't come back to me and ask me for it again. It's yours. I would hope that you would return to me with, thank you. But see, here's what we do. We're so sight-oriented. Faith doesn't walk by sight. But that's how we operate, that until we see it, I don't know that it's mine. Until I have it, I don't know that it's really there. So we got to make this connection. First of all, we have to know that the devil, Satan, he comes as a thief to steal, to take away, and to kill. He may be killing some people's dreams in here. He may be trying to steal some people's hope, some people's vision for life. There's all kinds of things he goes after. He is stealing your joy, not giving you depression. He's stealing your healing, not giving you sickness. He is stealing your prosperity, not giving you poverty. So when you go to God asking for something, you're asking for something that's already yours. I would have been an idiot. If they told me, hey, you got your stuff, then I would say, well, you know, I'll just go down the street and buy another one. And that's what we do. We go to another alternative. We find another option and say, well, I'm not going to get it from God, so I must have to go get it here. I guess God's not going to give me joy, so let me surround, surround myself with some people to try to pick me up and try to make me feel good. And then they end up letting us down. I guess he's not going to give me healing, so let me go to the doctor and take these medications, and the medications just have more side effects, make it worse. I guess he's not going to give me provision, so let me go to the bank and get me a loan with a high interest rate, and then we get in a worse-off situation. You see what I'm saying? When we can just go to God and say, God, uh, that healing that you made available for me, I'm asking you for it right now in the name of Jesus. Now, I thank you. Thank you, Father, for healing me. 
thank you for giving me healing. I don't see it in my body. It hasn't manifested. I still have the headache. The doctor says it's still there. But I thank you that you have already given it to me. I don't ask anymore. I don't complain about it anymore. I don't grumble about it anymore. This is a switch we have to make. Romans chapter 10. Faith restores into our possession what we already own. We've talked about ownership. We've talked about possession. And there's a lot of things that believers own, but they're not possessing. They're in the wrong hands. And so we need to transfer. It doesn't mean it doesn't belong to you. If they took my stereo equipment out of my truck, who does it still belong to? Me. Well, I guess you're the rightful owner now. No, you stole it. You took it without asking. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. So now I'm going to repossess what belongs to me. So that's what faith does. Faith restores to possession what we already own. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Isn't that interesting that it says faith speaks? Faith has a voice. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. Now I want to show you something here. And this is where we'll close. That faith, it says there, the word of faith is near you. You've heard me say this many times. I'm going to say it again. Faith is developed by attention. You develop faith in what you give attention to. And this is where people fail. This is where we mess up. Because we think that we can pray once and then go listen to and get around anything that we want and it won't affect us. I'm going to tell you something. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I want to stop after the first hearing. Faith comes by hearing. That by itself is a true statement. Faith does come by hearing. No matter what you hear, you will develop faith in it, whether good or bad. If you hear a negative report, you develop faith in that negative report. If you hear a good report, then you develop faith in the good report. No matter what you hear, it doesn't matter. I remember one time we had a a lady in our church down in Florida that had cancer, and she ended up being hospitalized. And and pastor told him, you know, this is what we need. We're going to stand in faith. We're going to believe for your healing because the healing is yours right now as soon as we ask. And now we're just in a position to thank God and glorify God for it as if we already have it, as if it's already here. It's not faith if 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 it's already in your possession. As soon as you possess something that you're believing for, you're no longer in faith for it. Faith only works in the unseen. It's the evidence of things not seen. Okay? So we told this lady, this is what you need to do. We go in a few days later, and the family's sitting around watching TV. Now, yeah, that might be a lot of people's reaction. Well, I'm in the hospital, but, you know, take some time. And the condition's not getting any better. 
Why? Because we're not giving attention to God's word, where the healing's coming from. I hate that. I'll tell you right now. I mean, if you're if you're dying of cancer, don't waste time watching television. Spend your time building your faith up because your faith is what's going to produce the healing that you can't see. And that's hard for people. If you spend uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm about to show you a pattern. Here we go. What you put in is what you say, and what you say is what you get. And we don't put all that together. So, we spend one hour hearing a message that says, you can be healed. Any of you ever noticed that when you come to church, I mean, you're just so built up in your faith, you're just so strong, it's like, man, I can conquer the world. There's nothing, I mean, if you have a problem going into Sunday morning, and, and, and Sunday morning you're thinking, man, what is that problem? My God can do anything. I used to always wonder that. And then Monday morning comes. Monday morning shows up, and the problem is all of a sudden just as big as it was on Saturday night. What in the world? Your problems are as big as you make them, and your God is as big as you make him. And it's all based on the attention factor. See, what we're doing here, from 10.30 to whenever, almost 12 now, this should be ongoing. This should be a lifestyle. This should be, you know what, I'm going to pull those notes out that I took, and I'm going to recover them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I'm, this Bible that I opened up, there's, the next time I open up the Bible shouldn't be next Sunday morning. And then we say the pastor missed it. Then we say the church is the church is a fake. I don't even know why I waste time going to church. I could be sleeping in. We're not doing anything to work what we're doing on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. It's the attention factor. We spend one hour a week. You know, I, I, I did this with our uh, children's ministry back down in Florida. So I wanted the teachers to understand and value what they were doing with those kids. I said, listen to this. Those kids, they get maybe two hours with you on Wednesday night and maybe two hours on Sunday morning. That means the world gets all the rest of the time for that week. Every billboard they pass, every commercial they see, every TV show they put on, every teacher that talks to them, some of them don't even have godly parents that are reiterating what you're saying. You get four hours. We can't make the most of four hours out of an entire week? You want to show up late and you want to grumble and complain, well, I have to work with the kids again tonight. Are you kidding me? You get two hours that night to invest the word of God in them that nobody else is doing. They're not going to their public schools and hearing that. They're not turning on the TV and hearing, you know what, God is the healer, and any problem you come in into contact with, he can control it. You tell me they're seeing that on TV. I know the joke they're seeing on TV. 
And as adults, we've got to do the same thing. This is how our faith is built up. This is why we're not praying, guys. This is it. We're not praying because we're not getting results. And we don't realize that we're praying for something that actually already belongs to us. And then when we pray, we don't really believe that we receive it. Here's what we do. We pray and we say, God, heal me. And then the next day we say, well, guess one day God's going to heal me. And the next day, well, is he going to heal me? And then the third day, well, I guess he's not going to heal me. And then the fourth day, well, maybe he put the sickness on me because he's trying to teach me something. And then the fifth day, all right, what do I need to do to get? When you had it the first day, you had the healing all the time. The first time you asked. And so, well, prayer didn't work there. So I'm not going to waste my time doing that anymore. This is it. This is it. What you continue to give attention to is what you eventually get. Now look, <clears throat> I'm not saying people have a lack of faith. I'm saying people have, are, are putting faith in the wrong thing. Because look, when a doctor comes to me and says, Mark, we found cancer in your brain. And you have one month to live. I've got an option. Most people don't see that they have an option. This is why we're here on the earth. This is why we're here doing what we're doing. Is to show people you have an option. In healing, the only reason I talk about healing so much is because that's the one area we have the hardest time putting our faith is in physical restoration of our body. There are so many stupid things out there that people say about healing. And God put sickness on me. And God's trying to teach me a lesson. And, and he's not going to take it away from me because he wants me to, to learn to trust in him. And if I want to trust in God more, then if he took it away, I would, I would have more trust in him. Ridiculous things people say, and we don't even think about what we're saying. That's why I use healing so much. It's a great example. So if I do get that report from the doctor, what are my options? What am I going to do? Does my God heal or does he not heal? Are you telling me that Jesus just went through all that junk for nothing? There's nothing he can, there's nothing he can do about it? That's a slap in his face. That's a slap in Jesus' face to say, you know what, Jesus, I appreciate everything you did for me. I appreciate all that hurt and all that pain and all that suffering, but you know what? I, I just don't, I, I believe there's, there's something else we've got to do. And that's what we think we do in prayer sometimes. Even when we go to prayer, we think that we're trying to get God to do something else to get us healing. And he's saying it's already available. It's already yours. Just and then when you ask, believe that you receive. Well, what happens if it doesn't show up immediately? Believe that you receive. And if I believe that I receive, that means that I'm thanking God and glorifying him and praising him for the healing, not, man, I wish this would go away. That means I begin to do things that maybe I wasn't doing before. 
Remember when we talked about faith, and I said that we should be able to see that you are in faith for something. There's a family in this church that they're believing God for a house. They took the picture of the house and put it as their screensaver on their phone. So you know what? I'm able to identify somebody's believing God for a house. To be visible. There's many times in the Bible where the, the Jesus or the apostles, they said, when they saw their faith. How do you see faith? I thought, I thought faith was something in your head. I thought faith was something in your heart. I thought something that you think or something that you believe. But there's always evidence. There's always proof that you're in faith for something. So what we give attention to is eventually what we get. Because what we give attention to, see the Bible, the Bible said in Matthew 12, what the abundance of your heart. Well, if I spend an hour reading the Bible and spend three hours reading the doctor's report and everything that's wrong with me, which is in abundance? You maintain it and you maintain it and you maintain it, and you maintain it. That is how we operate in this. That is how the prayer of faith heals the sick. That's how the prayer of faith brings prosperity. That's how the prayer of faith brings joy. That's how the prayer of faith brings love, heals marriages, brings kids homes, brings relatives into the kingdom, helps you land the job, helps you find your destination, helps you... Uh, understand what I'm supposed to do with my life. It's the prayer of faith. It's what you give attention to. It's what you keep in front of you. It's what you meditate on. Well, you know, I I spent a couple hours at church on Sunday, so, uh, you know, I think God's going to answer my needs. But yet we give attention attention to everything else that's contrary to that. I'm never going to find a job. I'm never going to know what, what my destiny is. I'm, I'm never going to know uh, if I'm even supposed to be here. I'm, I'm never going to know if I'm supposed to marry this person. I'm never going to know. Exactly. We say the exact opposite after we pray. And we think the prayer covers everything. Well, God heard me, so I can grumble and complain. I can speak doubt and unbelief. I can watch whatever I want, and I can listen to anything I want. And I can hang around. Look, if, if 